for the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Andy Baggerly, who covers the San Francisco Giants for The Athletic, about the Giants' latest offensive turnaround. An exciting game on Tuesday night, one of the all-time Greek games at Oracle Park that poured into Wednesday, where the Giants had four home runs over two innings. Jock Peterson, four homers in two games. All stuff we can talk about with Andy Baggerly, who joins me next. Today is Friday. May 27th. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast. Andy Baggerly covers the San Francisco Giants for The Athletic. Andrew, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty well. So I haven't had a chance to talk to you since the big game on Tuesday night against the Mets. Where does that one stack up for you in terms of games you've covered at Oracle Park? Oh man, I mean it's it's got to be one of the best regular season Giants games uh, of you know a generation. Uh, you know it's it had yeah. a little bit of everything. I mean, you talk about a game that's a roller coaster. This one was a lot more than that. I mean the Giants are up eight to two, then it's eight to four, and then Tyler Rogers has you know one of just the, the wackiest innings ever as the Mets you know just string together weird hit after weird hit and then you know Jock Peterson's sitting on two homers and he comes up with a chance to tie it in the 8th and he does it and then he's got a chance for a four homer game in the ninth with the Giants down a run two outs in the ninth and and he hits the tying single hard to say he he squandered his opportunity for a four homer game when he ties the game with two outs in the ninth and then Brendan Crawford <laughs> right. obviously Obviously walks it off, and they do it, by the way, against a guy who's got the highest strikeout rate of any pitcher in baseball, you know, Edwin Diaz is striking out like 49% of the batters he faces. So, you know, all of those things combined, it just, you know, it was too much. It was too much. (laughs) <laughs> both those rallies, both in the eighth and the ninth for the Giants, started with nobody on and two outs. They didn't get a runner on in the ninth, and then a hit into a double play. Tommy Listella did, and uh, as you mentioned, eventually they get uh, Yaz to come around and score, and uh, and then Brandon Crawford walked it off. In, in terms of the Tyler Rogers outing, I know that a lot of people, or maybe within the organization, Gabe Kapler would say, "Well, he was out there because he was he was making his pitches." Is is that solely the the reason they kept him out there? I mean, you face eight batters and seven of them get hits off of you. Usually, you get pulled a little bit before that. Was there a better explanation or, or a clear explanation as to why they stuck with Rodgers in that situation? It's like you're you're at the slot machine, right? And you just uh, you know you just keep pumping the quarters, and you realize that you know, although in this case, you know, when you're at the slot machine, the house always has the advantage. You feel that you are the house when you have Tyler Rogers on the mound. His average exit velocity uh, is the lowest in the major leagues. You know, the average contact that he's allowing is a 166 average, and it's just been turned on its head this year for whatever reason and I think it's just randomness his batting average on balls in play was like 270 last year which is about 30 points below uh, the league what the league averages on a ball in play and this year it's like 370 he's just given up hits and they're fluky hits they're choppers they're bleeders they're my friends in Milwaukee call them stoinkers. Uh, um, and, and there were a couple hard-hit ones, too. He definitely was a little more in the zone than and up in the zone than he had been. But Gabe Kapler's like, dude, yeah, I, I know this looks really bad, but I really feel like the next pitch is going to be a ground ball, and the next ball is more likely than not to be at somebody and be one out or maybe even two. So that's why he stuck with them. And there are some nights you just you just get beat, you know, and, and you deal with sort of the, the vagaries of – of the randomness of balls in play. And it, that that affects Tyler Rogers more than anybody. But I guarantee you, the Giants went right to the drawing board and they're like, okay, what can we learn from this? What could we have done differently? Where could we have positioned people differently? How do we have to rethink 
how we position ourselves behind Tyler Rogers because he's one of only two pitchers in the major leagues that has not had a single shift employed behind him. Uh, the other one is is a bummer of the White Sox. So the Giants have basically played straight up behind Rogers with with alterations here or there. And you wonder if they'll get to the point where it's like, okay, you know, what scenarios do we want to have five infielders and two outfielders? I mean, you, you, there might be scenarios where that makes sense. That would be insane if they started to do that uh, because Rodgers doesn't allow hard contact to the outfield to right. It's frequently just ground balls at fine holes or kind of numbers go in one direction and uh, then they, they jet off to another space. In terms of the Giants' defense, I know the metrics would say that it's not been very good this year. In like sports like basketball and in football, you can make adjustments throughout the season. You can watch tape and try to switch things up or change things that aren't working defensively with schematics. Baseball, it's not necessarily the same thing. You've kind of got your talent and guys are defenders or they're not great defenders and positioning matters and all that. Is there a way to improve defense throughout the course of a season, or is it strictly about just adding more talented defenders to the lineup? Well, I think that's what the Giants are counting on. It's not that they don't feel defense is unimportant. I mean, they do. Uh, They spend a ton of time on it. But the way they look at it is, you know, you could take someone who's an average defender and someone who's an above average defender, and the marginal gains you're going to get from that don't really warrant putting the better defender in if you're going to lose quite a bit offensively. They prioritize getting the best matchups and putting together the the lineup they think is going to score the most runs. And if that means making concessions to their defense, they're willing to do that. They feel that that's a trade-off that in the long run uh, is going to be worth it for them. And it's hard to argue with based on what they did last season winning 107 games. I mean, they're sort of what they think is going to happen in the long run has happened. Uh, It happened last season. Doesn't mean it's it's the way it's going to go this year, uh, and, and obviously take Tyler Rogers. One, one season can be different from another, just based on randomness. But yeah, they absolutely believe with with coaching people up, with um, positioning, uh, using all the data, they can make up for someone who doesn't have as much of a step in the outfield as somebody else. But you know, you've got to be able to control what you can control, and that means you've got to be able to make the plays that you should be making. And that's why they spend a lot of time on handedness, on, on challenging drills, you know, using uh, pitching machines uh, to, to create topspin grounders. I've written about that. And they want to try to improve those skills, make those sticky skills so that the plays that should be made are made. And, and to this point this season, a lot of them haven't been made, not quite simply. They're 9-13 and now after those two wins against the Mets against teams above 500, 15-6 against teams below 500. It's a, a small sample size. Does that tell you anything about this team this early in the season? Last year, they beat up on the bad teams at an alarming rate. I mean, they hammered the Diamondbacks and they hammered the, the Colorado Rockies, but they also fared uh, a little bit better by the back end of the year. They fared well against everybody when you win 107, but do these records against above and below 500 teams tell you anything at this point? Yeah, I think it, it means something, uh, and and you know it's everything's got a, a little bit of nuance to it. I, I I do think in general they haven't been as effective against the really good starting pitchers. There are you know, certainly some uh, examples when they have been. I mean, they knocked around Yu Darvish really well. You know, Chris Bassett is someone who's a pretty good pitcher, and they've they've uh, looked pretty comfortable against him twice now. But then there's been other starts by the Joe Musgroves and Carlos Carrascos of the world where they've really struggled. And they've been missing personnel too. I mean, they had the COVID wave and then they basically lost every left-handed hitter they had besides Mike Yastrzemski for about a week there. Or even lost Yaz, he was, he was part of that COVID wave. So, And they got the full squad back for like a day in Colorado. 
and then they put four guys on the IL in four days. And Lamont Way Jr. may not be back for a while since he's uh, he's stepping back to to try to figure out how he can get this knee better. So you know it's it's a little hard because they haven't had the kind of team that they hope to have out there uh, for most of the season. But but overall, yeah, it's at some point you have to play better to beat the good teams. And more often than not, uh, especially against the Dodgers and Padres, the Giants haven't been so successful at that yet. And it doesn't mean that their die is cast, but it does mean that they they kind of know. They, they know that, okay, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing against the pitchers that are league average or below. We know we're doing what we're doing to beat the teams we should be beating. But to get where you want to go, if you want to hang in, in the NL West with the Dodgers and Padres, I mean, that's their lot in life. They've got to be as good as those teams uh, to hang with them if they want to win the division again. And, and to, to this point, they, they haven't quite measured up. Yeah, and we'll see what happens when they get a uh, crack at the Dodgers again when they come on back home from this uh, this road trip. Just a couple of thoughts from you on Mike Yastrzemski. Uh, he's as close to, to an everyday player as they have right now, uh, sort of matchup-proof uh, as he's in the middle of this hot streak. Hit a home run on Wednesday also to go with Longoria's two, and then Jock Peterson hit another one. But for as streaky as some of the, the other guys in the lineup have been and as streaky as the team itself has been, Yaz has kind of been the constant over the last few weeks. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. He really did feel good about his swing coming into the season. And then, you know, obviously had to miss the time with COVID just as he was really starting to heat up. So, you know, it, it's been huge for the Giants that he's gotten back to being pretty much the player that he was in 2020. I mean, he's got a 409 on base. You know, he's got a 909 OPS right now. Yeah, you know, Early on in the year, it was Jock Peterson who was hot and, and nobody else was. And, and now it's Mike Yastrzemski. And obviously Jock did what he did the last couple of days and, and, and found that zone. So that will really get them off to a good start to have those two guys kind of catch fire. That'll really help them against any right-handed starting pitcher that they'll face, and they've got three of them that they'll face in Cincinnati. And the uh, the schedule does soften up a little bit in June, so maybe they can uh, they can pad that uh, record a little bit uh, against some of these bad teams on the East Coast, and then come on home and, and hold serve at home. Andy, thanks so much, man. Always fun catching up and talking Giants baseball. Uh, enjoy missing Cincinnati, but then enjoy Philadelphia too, man. <laughs> I will. Thank you. Anytime. Great stuff from Andy Baggerly. Make sure you're following him at Extra Bags on Twitter and reading him for all your Giants coverage on The Athletic throughout the season. Yeah, Giants go out to uh, Cincinnati and then Philadelphia. Nice East Coast road trip for them, but a chance to beat up on the Cincinnati Reds because everybody else has been beating up on the Reds. The Giants may as well get their piece too. So Giants hit the road today for a three-game set in Cincinnati and then out of town next week for Memorial Day. We will be off on Monday, so we'll be back with you next week. Until then, thank you to Andy Baggerly. Thank you to Brian Smith. With my producer, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. When we talk to you next week, we'll get into a little bit of a Warriors Finals preview. We'll see uh, who the Warriors have an opportunity to take down after this weekend when the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. So until then, enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. We'll talk to you next Wednesday.